how to make better decisions by connecting with your own inner decision-making ability. With everything that's going on in the world right now, the skill set of connecting to our own intuition to be able to make decisions and to be able to discern truth versus untruth is um, a very, very valuable skill set. And it can really, really help us and protect us from being manipulated or taken advantage of or being misled. Um, when we are able to connect to our own inner decision-making center, we don't have to outsource our decisions to other people. Um, it's kind of like having Spidey senses. <laughs> if you've ever watched Spider-Man, you know that um, he has Spidey senses. And there's one scene in particular in one of the films where uh, Spider-Man is in his everyday clothes, so he's not dressed up in his uh, outfit, but he's sitting at a cafe uh, with his friend across the table. And they're sitting there and uh, having a conversation. And when all of a sudden um, his Spidey senses come online and begin to warn him of something. And there's several small cues in the film, like he sees a reflection, I think, in her glasses. And uh, I think there's a noise or something behind him. But it's like time slows down and his spidey senses come online and begin to warn him that there's something that's about to happen. And um, just as a car comes crashing through the window behind him, he jumps across the table and uh, tackles his friend to the ground, getting her out of the way and saving both of their lives. Now, these spidey senses, uh, it's like our intuition. It's like this uh, supercomputer inside of us that's always scanning our environment. It's scanning everybody in the environment, everything in the environment. And it's taking in all of this information. And it's able to, when we're able to connect to it, we can make better decisions, more accurate, more efficient, uh, more effective decisions. And we can also feel into... Um, truth versus untruth um, a lot better. So in this video, that's what I, what I want to go over is how we can connect to our spidey senses because I believe that we all have these spidey senses inside of us. It's just our connection to them has become uh, a little bit disrupted. So I want to go over how that connection becomes disrupted, how we become disconnected from our spidey senses, how we can become reconnected to that intuition inside of us. And I want to go over um, the difference between our logical mind, making decisions from our logical mind versus making decisions from our intuition. Um, I want to go over uh, different ways that we can strengthen the connection to our intuition so that we can make better, more effective, more accurate decisions. And I also want to go over how uh, society, societal conditioning from when we're very young kids um, conditions us away from uh, being able to connect further to our intuition. It conditions us away from that and towards using our logical mind and why that is and what we can do about it. So a uh, quick story for you. <clears throat> Several years ago, I was traveling in Paris. And one day I woke up and I was walking through this outdoor park right near the Eiffel Tower. Uh, it's a beautiful outdoor park with, you know, park benches and trees everywhere. And it was huge. 
And so I'm walking along this path outdoors, beautiful sunny day, when I notice a small group of people on the path in front of me. And so as I get closer and as I get closer, I stop probably like 10 feet away and I just kind of observe. And there's probably like six to eight people huddled around this small table in the middle with one man behind the table. And the man behind the table was running this game. And he had three cups on the table in front of him. And I stood and watched as he would place a small ball underneath one of the cups and he would shuffle the cups around. And then he would stop and someone in the crowd would offer up a 50 euro bill for a chance to guess at which cup the ball was under or which, yeah, which cup the ball was under. And if they guessed correctly, uh, the man running the game would give them back a hundred euros so that you would double your money. But if you guessed incorrectly, then you lost your 50 euros. So I stood there for several minutes and just observed the people playing this game. And they all seemed to be tourists. They had kind of like cameras around their necks and were, you know, maps in their back pocket and so on and so forth. So I stood there and watched for a couple minutes and it seemed to me like a very easy game to win. It seemed like he was moving the cups very slowly. The man that was running the game, he was moving the cups very slowly and it seemed very obvious which cup the ball was under. And um, the people that were playing the game is like six, seven, eight people huddled around the table. They kept winning money over and over and over and over again. It seemed like such an easy game. So I was standing there watching this game taking place. And all of a sudden I noticed one of the people in the crowd uh, was on his phone the whole time. He was on his phone the whole time and he was kind of looking around a lot. And all of a sudden he turned around really fast and looked down the path and I looked in the same direction that he looked and I noticed that there was two police officers walking up the path. And as soon as he saw that, he uh, yelled something out and everybody in the crowd, including the man that was running the game, just bolted. They took off. They sprinted in every which direction. They just completely scattered. And I thought that was rather interesting. So I went, I kept walking. I walked maybe like 20 feet and sat down on this park bench. And the two police officers that were walking just casually walked through the park. And as soon as they were out of sight, where they just turned around the corner, um, the same group of people gathered uh, in the exact same spot with the guy that was running this game. And they continued to play the game. So I just sat there and just watched it for a couple of minutes. And all of a sudden, a tourist was walking up the path and did the exact same thing that I did is he stopped and he just observed this game for a couple minutes. And he was just standing there observing, observing, observing when all of a sudden he pulled out a wall, his wallet and he pulled out a 50 euro bill and he held it up and he shouted at the man running the game. He shouted, he said, it's in that cup, it's in that cup, it's in that cup. So he handed the bill over to the man running the game and he pointed at one of the cups. So the man running the game uh, gladly collected the 50 euro bill from the tourist and slowly picked up the cup that the tourist pointed to. And he picked it up and revealed that there was no ball underneath it. So he picked up the second cup and he picked up the third cup. And when he picked up the third cup, um, he revealed the ball underneath that cup, which meant that the tourist just lost 50 euros to this man running this game. Now this tourist was quite angry, he was quite upset. 
He uh, even began to raise his voice at the man running the game. And he began to accuse the man running the game that, you know, he made a mistake. The ball was underneath his cup. He was sure of it. And they uh, argued back and forth for a couple seconds. And then the tourists pulled out another 50-euro bill and decided to go another round at this game. So he handed over the bill and the man running the game took the ball, held it up, and then put it underneath one of the cups and then shuffled the cups around. So he shuffled the three cups around, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then he stopped. And the tourist pointed at the cup in the middle. And he was adamant. He was absolutely certain the ball was underneath that cup. He even slapped his hand on top of the cup. The man running the game picked up the cup in the middle to reveal that there was no ball underneath that cup. Now, at this point, the tourist was livid. He was absolutely pissed he actually pushed the man running the game and as soon as that happened it turned into a physical altercation in the middle of this park in paris and the group of six to eight people that uh were playing the game they uh kind of ganged up on this one tourist and they kind of circled around him and just as this was happening two police officers walking down the path again in the distance began to sprint towards the crowd because they could see that there was a fight breaking out in the middle of the park. So they began sprinting towards this crowd and as soon as uh, one of the people in the crowd saw this, he yelled something out and everybody scattered again. Everybody ran away. The man that was running the game picked up his little table and just bolted. When the two police officers arrived, it was just the uh, tourist that had just lost 100 euros standing there. And so the tourist began to explain to these two police officers what had just happened and da 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 da, da. And I couldn't hear what, what he was saying to the police officers because I was like 20, probably 20, 30 feet away just chilling on this park bench. But afterwards, as the man was walking by, we struck up a conversation and he explained to me and filled me in on what the police officers had said to him. And he explained to me that um, the game was a scam. The game was a scam and it was actually impossible to win. What was happening all over Paris was these little, uh, these little games, these groups of people that would set up this game and it was all a setup. It was all a setup. And what they would do is um, there would be one man running the game and then uh, several of his friends who would basically be like actors would pretend to be tourists and they would dress up like tourists and they would pretend to play this game so that as a tourist walked by or an unsuspecting person walked by and observed the game from a distance, um, they would see people winning money. It would look like a really uh, easy game to win. And so the man running the game and his friends who were actors would just be, you know, handing back and forth the same bills, pretending like someone was winning when in fact they were just, it was all set up. And um, when the unsuspecting tourists saw this and saw that it, was a, it looked like an easy way to win money, they would walk up and play the game. And as soon as they engaged in playing the game, even if they picked the correct cup with the ball under it, the man running the game would pick the cup up in such a way that he was able to also pick up the ball underneath the cup. And they actually use like a piece of foam for the ball 
And so it was very easy to compress into their palm. So it was kind of like a magic trick, like a sleight of hand where the man running the game would pick up the cup and also palm the ball underneath the cup very quickly to make it look as though the ball was never underneath that cup. And then as he picked up the other two cups, he would take the ball that was squished in his palm and put it underneath one of the cups to make it look like the ball was underneath that cup the whole time. So it was impossible to win. It was basically a magic trick. Um, that was a big con. And not only that, but the, they would actually, uh, in the group of people, they would always have one person on their phone, either on like a headset or like headphones or just, you know, holding their phone up to their ear. And that person would be on a call, a group call with several of their other friends positioned all around the park who were keeping an eye out for cops. And if they saw cops walking towards the group playing the game, they would just warn the person who was on the group call, who was part of the game, and that person would yell out and everyone would just run away. So that's how they avoided being caught by the police. So the game was a huge scam and it was impossible to win. And it was going on all over the city and um, these people were making money from unsuspecting tourists. Now I share this story because when I walked up to this game and observed it, for the first several minutes, um, the voice in my head was telling me to play the game. The voice in my head was telling me that this is such an easy game to win. You could win several hundred euros really quick right now. But my gut instinct was telling me that there was something not quite right here. There was something wrong here. And, um, by listening to my gut instinct, I never played the game and I never lost money to this scam. <clears throat> now I share that story to highlight um, what making a decision from our gut instinct feels like versus uh, a lot of times the conflicting voice in our head that's giving advice. Um, and back to you know the concept of spidey senses, one, one could say that my spidey senses were going off at the time and alerting me that this game was not something that I should play. It was warning me that I should walk away from this game immediately. Um, and that is our intuition. That is our intuition. That is our gut instinct speaking to us through physical sensations in the body. Um, and this is a very big... Uh, um, a very big distinction to make is how our intuition talks to us versus the voice in our head. Almost always the voice in our head is just uh, usually just our ego talking to us versus um, our intuition, which almost always speaks to us through physical sensations in the body. Meaning that gut instinct that you get when you meet someone and it feels like your stomach is churning or, or you get butterflies in your stomach or your heart rate increases or you get some type of adrenaline surging through your body. Um, most times that's our intuition trying to send subtle messages to us. And um, when we can connect to our body and strengthen our connection to our intuition, we can listen into the messages that it's sending us and uh, be able to make decisions or be able to avoid uh, a threat <laughs> like the game uh, in Paris, in the park. Um, and 
the issue is uh, we are conditioned away from listening and connecting and receiving those messages from our intuition. We're conditioned away from that um, by society. And um, we are conditioned into using decisions from our logical mind. Um, if you think about it, like, like picture a CEO walking into a boardroom and sitting or standing up in front of a, a group of um, a room full of people like board of directors sitting around a big table dressed up in suits. And uh, the CEO stands up and says, I think that we should make this decision in the business because this is what my intuition is telling me. Probably not going to go over well. You know, the board of directors is probably not going to buy that. Versus the CEO standing up and giving a presentation with a whole bunch of slides, uh, going over a whole bunch of numbers and, and revenue numbers and projections and da 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 da. That's usually how we're taught to make decisions uh, by society, is uh, through using that logical mind. Now, there's nothing wrong with using our logical mind at all. Um, and it might sound like I'm kind of bashing it, but um, there's nothing wrong with using our logical mind. Uh, and there's a time and place for it. You know, if I'm sitting down, and I'm trying to solve a math problem, I'm going to use my logical mind to use mathematical calculations to solve the problem. Uh, the issue is in the real world, um, it's a lot more complex than that. <laughs> There's a lot more moving pieces going on. There's uh, slight nuances in the environment and people. And our logical mind uh, can't quite keep up. It can't quite keep up with the amount of information, the input coming at it from our environment. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a calculator up in our mind, trying to uh, calculate everything that's going on in our environment. And is that person a threat? Is that person a friend? Is that person a foe? What's going on over there? And it can't quite keep up. It's very slow. Versus our intuition being, <clears throat> excuse me, our intuition being kind of like a supercomputer, which is so, so, so advanced and is able to uh, receive information from our external environment at an exponentially greater rate than our logical mind, the little calculator in our brain. And uh, being able to tap into and to receive information from that supercomputer intuition, again, can really, really assist us in making better decisions, making more accurate decisions, and um, avoiding threats or manipulation or being taken advantage of. It's kind of like uh, having a built-in lie detector. And again, with everything that's going on in the world right now, actually everything that's ever gone on in the world right now, or everything that's ever gone on in the world, uh, <clears throat> having a built-in lie detector to be able to discern and feel into, you know, is this person a threat or is this person a friend or is this person telling me the truth or is this person potentially uh, trying to mislead me with misinformation to uh, take advantage of me for their own personal gain. Um, when we're able to connect to that supercomputer, we're way less vulnerable to that manipulation, to being taken advantage of. And when we're able to connect that 
to our own inner decision-making center, um, we're sovereign in the sense that we can make our own decisions and we don't have to be experts on everything, especially everything that's going on in the world. We are able to uh, feel into who to listen to, you know, who is telling us the truth, who can uh, transmit a message to us that can help us. Another quick story for you. Uh, several years ago, actually, um, in March of 2020, I was in Peru and I was in Peru for a retreat. And I flew into this small little town in the jungle uh, right on the Amazon River. And it was a really small town. And I, and I was there for like four or five days before the retreat started. And every morning I would wake up and go to this one cafe that was right on the Amazon River. And I would eat breakfast and have a little coffee and do a little work on my laptop. And every single morning there was this man that would come by and he would lay out these paintings kind of on the, on the curb in front of the cafe. And there were these beautiful paintings, uh, like hand painted on this canvas. And it was actually hand painted by a local shaman artist. And every single morning he'd lay them out and... Um, I love them. I really, really like them. They're beautiful pieces and I wanted to get one. Uh, so I had narrowed it down to uh, choosing between two different paintings. And um, every morning I would sit there and I would look at these two paintings and I would try and decide which one I should get. And I couldn't decide. And so I told the man, hey, look, you know, I'm going, uh, I'll be gone for a couple of weeks on this retreat but I'm going I'm to have to come back through here, through this town after the retreat before I leave Peru. So, you know, I'll see you then and I'll, I'll make my decision then. And um, I remember taking a picture of the two paintings and actually <laughs> sending it to my partner at the time who was back in California and asking her, hey, which one should I get? Which one do you think I should get? And uh, her, her response is amazing. Her response is, you know, connect to your body and just feel, you know, which one feels right. And I had no idea what that meant at the time, to be honest. I had no idea. Um, and I remember walking back to my hotel and pulling out my phone and sitting on the bed and just flipping back and forth between the two photos, trying to decide which one I should get. And then I went on the retreat and uh, the retreat was several weeks long and it was in the jungle and the retreat actually gave me a great opportunity to um, be with myself. You know, I was in the jungle, there was not much Wi-Fi, there was, there was really nothing going on. And it gave me an opportunity to connect uh, through some of the work that I was doing there uh, further into my body. And um, after the retreat finished, we hopped on these boats and you know, we had literally had to take boats down the Amazon River to get to this retreat center. We hopped in the boats, took the boats back, hopped in a little uh, motorbike taxi, went back to this small town. And I spent another several days in this small town before leaving Peru. And just as I, as I had promised, I ran into the man again in front of the cafe. And uh, this time things were different in the sense that as soon as I saw him, um, you know, he started laying out the paintings and I just said to him, no, no, no need, no need. I, I know which one I want already. And it was almost as if there was no decision. There was no decision of flip-flopping back and forth, trying to decide this one or that one, this one or that one. 
it was just a very strong, uh, very strong knowing inside of my body, which painting I wanted. So I picked it up. I paid him money and gladly supported him and, and took off and, you know, came home with the painting that I wanted. Um, and I share that story because, uh, it doesn't take a lot of work to connect back to our intuition, to connect back to making decisions from that supercomputer. Um, when we can move a couple things out of the way, we can really, really strengthen our connection to our intuition. Um, and I think there's a very common misconception that uh, either you're born with it or you're not, either you, you have it or you don't, or that it takes a lifetime of work to be able to uh, connect to your intuition. And that's simply not true. It's simply not true. Uh, when we can move a couple big things out of the way, clear some stuff out of the way and connect back to our body, we can uh, quickly, quickly, quickly strengthen the connection between that supercomputer of our intuition. Um, so I want to go over a couple of the ways that <clears throat> we become disconnected from our intuition. Now, the way that I like to think about this is um, that like I mentioned earlier, we all have our spidey senses. We all have our intuition. Everybody, everybody has their intuition. You have your spidey senses. It's just that the connection to them, to receiving the messages from that uh, intuition become uh, weakened through different, different ways that I'm going to go over in a second. And it's almost as if we have a receiver. So like a walkie talkie or a radio receiver, that is how we receive the information from our intuition. And um, our goal is to try and strengthen the connection between our receiver so that we can receive more clearly the messages from our intuition. So one of the ways that we become disconnected uh, from uh, our intuition is through um, suppressing parts of ourself throughout our life. Um, so as we go through life, especially when we're younger children, one of the core needs that we have is attachment, attachment to our primary caregivers, attachment usually to our parents. And this attachment is, is like our survival lifeline. It's absolutely necessary. It's, it's how we survive as small children who are unable to take care of ourselves. It's how we receive love and food and connection. And if there is a part of us that begins to come online that threatens this attachment with our primary caregivers, we will take that part and we will fragment it off and push it away. We'll suppress that part of ourself in an effort to maintain attachment with our primary caregivers. For example, let's say there's a kid who runs in the house, a young kid, maybe like six years old or something, runs in the house, runs up to his dad, says, dad, 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 I want to throw the baseball around. Can you throw the baseball around? And dad's sitting there on his laptop working and he turns to his son and he says, not now, I have to finish work. And... Uh, the kid gets upset and starts to raise his voice and says, but dad, 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 I really want to throw this baseball around. Can you come play now? And if the dad was raised in a house where there was, uh, let's say, a lot of rage from his parents, he might be terrified of anger 
And so the dad might turn to the son and say, son, you know, don't get angry. Good little boys don't show anger. And the son might take that message from his father and uh, internalize it as anger is not welcome here and anger is threatening my attachment with my father. So that little kid might take that anger, take that part of himself that gets angry, suppress it, push it away, fragment it off, lock it in the closet in an effort to maintain the survival lifeline with his father. Or another example, let's say a kid is growing up and has an innate talent for uh, art or music or writing or something like that, has just this innate natural born talent and um, says to their parents, mom, can you buy me paint supplies? I want to be a painter. I want to grow up to be a painter. Now, if the mom was uh, raised in a household or conditioned through generational patterns by society to believe that artists uh, are always poor and it's not a good career, the mom might say to the kid, no, don't do that. Artists, that's not a good career. Painting, mm -mm, that's just not a good choice. Um, here, go read this book on mechanical engineering. <laughs> now, the kid might take that part of themselves that is a natural born talent to be a musician or a painter or an artist or a writer, they might take that part of themselves, fragment it off and push it away as an attempt to maintain the connection with their mother, with their primary caregiver, because they want to receive love and connection. So as we go through life, <clears throat> both, you know, our primary caregivers, just society in general, teachers, coaches, we go through life and we take all of these parts of ourselves that we believe aren't welcome. It's not safe for them to show up. We just take them and we push them away. We fragment off, push them away, suppress them down, suppress them down. And every single time we do this, it's like, um, it's like taking the, the signal between our receiver, the way that we uh, receive messages from our intuition. It's like taking the, uh, signal connection between that receiver and our intuition and decreasing it every single time. Every single time we push away a part of ourself, it decreases and weakens the connection, the signal connection. And it becomes a lot more difficult to connect and receive information from our intuition. Now to, um, to heal this, it's taking these parts of ourself, um, now that we're adults or whatever, teenagers, whatever age we are, taking these parts of ourselves that we pushed away our whole life and reintegrating, reintegrating them. So it's that kid that was told that he's uh, not allowed to be an artist as a young child is now an adult. It's him welcoming that part of himself that has that natural artistic ability. Maybe it's going out and buying a paintbrush and painting or drawing or whatever, making music. Or the kid that was told that it's not okay to be angry. Maybe it's him finding and creating a safe space for himself to allow his anger to come up in a safe, contained way to be expressed, to be processed. It's taking these parts of ourself that we pushed away for a long time and reintegrating them. And every single time we do that, we... Um, strengthen the connection between our receiver and our intuition. 
and by strengthening the connection it becomes uh, a lot easier to receive information from our intuition um, <clears throat> there's several different modalities and techniques um, that dive into parts work of uh, recovering these uh, pushed away parts of ourself and if it's something that you are interested in exploring further i would recommend uh, looking into a practitioner that uh, is um, experienced in internal family systems therapy. Um, and yeah, looking into that. And if that's something that you want to explore further, I would recommend that. Um, a second way that we become disconnected from our intuition is by accumulating unprocessed life experiences or uh, small traumas or big traumas throughout our life. So as we go through life, it's inevitable. It's inevitable that we're going to step into and be a part of experiences that are <clears throat> potentially overwhelming, um, emotionally overwhelming, physically overwhelming, or um, could be an experience that uh, could be perceived to be life-threatening at the time maybe as a very young kid getting in a car car accident and not really knowing what's going on and it might feel life like a life-threatening experience either way going through these experiences throughout our life <clears throat> what happens in the experience is that our body mobilizes a lot of energy in an effort to protect us from what is going on and if we don't um, effectively discharge that energy or process that experience at the time or after the experience that energy that was mobilized to protect us becomes lodged in our body it becomes lodged in our body and we accumulate that experience as an unprocessed life experience or a trauma that we begin to store in our body and carry around with us throughout the rest of our life um, <clears throat> And these unprocessed life experiences become interference, interference between that receiver that we have and our intuition. It's like um, when you were a kid, if you've ever used walkie talkies and all of a sudden you'd be talking on your walkie talkie to your friend and then there'd be interference on the channel and there'd be like a baby monitor from your neighbors next door and you just hear like a baby crying and it's like, what? the heck like what is this um that's what it's like it's like interference on the channel between your receiver and your intuition and it gets in the way from being able to connect and listen to your intuition for example <clears throat> um, let's say you meet you're out with your friend and you're walking down the street and you bump into this person that your friend knows and your friend introduces you to this person named kyle and you reach out and you shake Kyle's hand. You say, nice to meet you, Kyle. And then all of a sudden you get this uh, full body rush. Sensations begin to go off in your body like alarms. Your heart rate increases and you got adrenaline coursing through your body. You got racing thoughts running through your mind. And you take a step back and it's like if you were able to hit pause on time in that moment, just being able to feel into your body and be like, whoa, what is going on right now? Being able to uh, discern between, wait, is this my intuition telling me that this person that I just met named Kyle is a threat or that there's something, you know, off here? 
or is this uh, an unprocessed life experience from maybe that time <clears throat> that you were in fourth grade and uh, the kid in your class named Kyle stole your lunch money and you never fully processed that experience at the time. And now, 20 years later, you're walking down the street and you meet someone named Kyle and your body is reacting to this Kyle, but it's actually reacting to the Kyle in the fourth grade that stole your lunch money because you haven't cleared that experience from your body. Um, <clears throat> the more of these unprocessed life experiences that we accumulate, uh, the more interference we have between our receiver and our intuition. So one of, um, one of my practices that uh, I engage in every day is <clears throat> in the mornings and in the evenings, I literally have a short list of experiences written down on my phone, in my phone, in my notepad. I have a short list of experiences that I can consciously recall that I still feel as though I have some type of uh, um, emotional charge with. There's still an unprocessed part of that experience. And in the mornings and in the evenings, I take some time to regress back to these experiences one by one. Some, usually I'll just pick one of them from my list and I'll regress back through that experience and I will use several tools to clear out whatever is unprocessed. And I will allow the energy that was uh, lodged in my body from that experience to be cleared out and cleared out. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes it takes several attempts to do so. But if I can take this experience that um, maybe I have a 60% charge or a 6 out of 10 emotional charge towards this experience meaning when i think back about that experience in the present day when i think back about it there's some type of uh internal state shift in my body like a very subtle maybe dormant emotions come up like sadness from that old experience or maybe a little bit of anger comes up or increased heart rate or my stomach starts to close in on itself or my heart starts to feel like pressure around it then I have an emotional charge with that old experience and it's showing up in my present day life as interference. So again, I go back and I regress back through these experiences and I clear them out and I clear them out and I clear them out. And by doing so, it's like, uh, you know, taking your receiver and stripping away all of the interference Every single time you clear something out, it's taking another piece of interference out of the way so that the signal between your receiver and your intuition is a lot more clear. Now, when you do this, um, you, can actually, you can actually develop a connection with your body, with your intuition, and you can actually, um, what I like to do, so I'll give you an example. Um, I meditate in the morning and when I meditate, things get really quiet in my mind. And when that happens, <clears throat> I can ask a question and um, maybe I ask a question about a business decision that I'm trying to make. And I can feel into my body what a yes feels like and what a no feels like. And for me, 
personally, and I know it's probably different for everybody. For me personally, a yes feels like a very subtle expansion in my core, in my diaphragm, um, around my heart sometimes. It feels like an expansion, an opening. And a no feels like a contraction or a closing in. And so when I sit down and I meditate and I ask a question in my mind, I just ask, you know, should I make uh, this decision in my business? Should I do this? And then I feel into my body and I can feel what a yes feels like and what a no feels like. But if there's interference, it becomes a lot more difficult to feel the yes and feel the no. Meaning if I ask the question, should I make this decision in my business? But I have some type of unprocessed life experience from seven years ago about some uh, bad decision that I made in my business that caused me a lot of pain and I didn't quite process it and it's still lodged in my body. In the present day, when I ask, should I make this business decision, that old experience might come up and get in the way and interfere with my ability to connect to the yes and to connect to the no. And so again, that's why it's so important to clear out these old life experiences so that there's less interference between our receiver and our intuition. Um, now there's several tools to do this, several techniques. Um, if it's something that you're interested in exploring more of, I would recommend, um, somatic experiencing, looking up a somatic experiencing practitioner to be able to walk you through how to discharge some of these old experiences from your body. Um, the third way that we uh, become disconnected is through quite literally disconnecting from our body meaning um, maybe it's uncomfortable or unpleasant to feel the body because there's some unpleasant emotions that may be continuously coming up. And in an effort to avoid feeling those uncomfortable, unpleasant emotions, um, sometimes people will disconnect and uh, sometimes dissociate from their body. So kind of leave their body because it's very uncomfortable to be in the body. Um, and some people, what I used to do personally is try and is I would, uh, instead of feeling into my body, I would actually just spend most of my time up in my head. So I would kind of escape or dissociate into my head, into my mind to just start thinking about stuff to distract me from what was going on in my body. Um, and when we do this, we quite literally cut ourselves off from our um, physical sensations, the felt sense of our body. And uh, that's how our intuition talks to us. That's how our intuition communicates with us. So when we disconnect from the physical, from feeling the physical sensations in our body, uh, it's like turning down the volume on our receiver that's connected to our intuition. And when the volume is turned down, turned down, turned down, turned down, it becomes very difficult to receive information from our intuition. Um, one of the ways, I mean, there's so many ways that uh, people disconnect from their body. I mean, one of many, many ways is, you know, taking uh, our phones, our smartphones, and there's some type of uncomfortable, unpleasant emotion begins to come up in our body. Maybe some anxiety begins to roll up through our body. 
and taking our phone and just sinking our awareness into our phone, scrolling social media to disconnect from that sensation in our body. And uh, as we do this over and over and over and over again through life, you know, we, we, we become very disconnected. So in an effort to, uh, to reconnect to the body, you know, there's, there's again, many techniques to do this, but um, things like yoga, things like uh, mindful movement practices and being able to use movement as a vehicle, as a mechanism to get back into the body, to feel into the body, to feel the sensations in the body. Um, <clears throat> breath work is another uh, modality that can really assist in this. Anything that gets our uh, awareness into our body to feel into our body, the subtle, subtle sensations in our body, um, can really help us to develop the skill set of what is called interoception. And interoception is being able to uh, develop sensory clarity in what is happening in the body. So one of the ways that I like to do this is, um, again, using, for me, meditation. And in my meditation practice, my seated meditation practice, I just scan my body. I just do a full body scan. And I just feel into what's happening in my body. You know, is there tightness here? Is there tension? Is there a little bit of pain here? Oh, is my heart feeling a little bit uh, like there's pressure around it? Like, like it's being protected somehow? Is there tightness in my neck? Is my jaw clenching? Is my, you know, am I clenching my fists? Are my shoulders being, you know, uh, up around my, my uh, neck? Just scanning my body in my meditation practice to feel into what is going on. And it's kind of like, uh, it's a skill set, you know, interoception, feeling into the body is a skill set. So every time you do it, it's like getting reps and getting better and better and better and better at it. It's like when I was a basketball player and I'd go to the gym and I'd shoot shots to get better at shooting. Same thing, checking in with our body, feeling into our body over and over and over again. It doesn't have to be a crazy practice. You know, if we're sitting in line or something, standing there, we can just close our eyes and feel into our body. Oh, wow, interesting. I feel I'm clenching my jaw and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Just feeling into our body and uh, developing that skill set and strengthening that uh, connection. <clears throat> Again, it's like turning up the volume on the receiver that is connected to our intuition. So these are some of the ways that uh, we disconnect and how we can reconnect. To just, uh, to just uh, go over them really quickly, the first way of fragmenting off parts of ourselves and pushing them away and suppressing them away. And every time we do that, it's like uh, weakening the connection between our receiver and our intuition. In an effort to uh, heal that, it's taking those fragmented parts and reintegrating them back into ourself. The second way of accumulating unprocessed life experiences. And every single time we do that, it's like uh, picking up more and more interference between our receiver and our intuition. And the third way of disconnecting from the physical sensations in our body. And every single time we do that, it's like turning the volume down and down and down and down on our receiver that is connected to our intuition. Um, <clears throat> so, Putting it all together, you know, with everything that's going on in the world right now, 
it's uh, such an important time to be able to connect back to our own inner decision-making ability. And we all have the ability to do that. We all have that intuition, those spidey senses inside of us. And uh, using simple practices, we can continue to get deeper and deeper into ourself and reconnect with ourself and reconnect and strengthen the signal between our receiver and our intuition so that we can make better, faster, more efficient, more effective decisions and so that we can um, become less vulnerable to uh, misinformation or to outsourcing our decision-making to others or to uh, manipulation and being taken advantage of. Um, again, we don't need to become experts on everything, but when we are connected to our intuition, we can uh, feel a lot more strongly uh, who is telling the truth and who we can listen to uh, to help guide us through some of the stuff in our life. So I hope this helps you. Um, I love you. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys.